Well, we are back in our book, uh, Practicing Thankfulness. And uh, I'm going to open us up in prayer, and then we'll get going. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you as we rise today, and we rejoice with those who said to us, let us go into the house of the Lord. We thank you, Father, for the uh, soul stirring that happens as we gather with your people, as we hear the goodness of our God relayed to us. Father, we pray that you would minister to our weak, troubled, and often cold hearts. We pray that you would stoke our hearts into a firing flame for you. And we pray, Father, that you would be with us this morning as we consider this practical book on how it is we can actually engage in the duty of thanksgiving. Would you, by your Spirit, enlighten our eyes to your truth, and would you cause us to be driven to do what is pleasing in your sight, and we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. So last week, I think Thomas uh, taught everyone on the uh, dangers of ingratitude. And as he did that, you know, the, the book is just really expositing Romans chapter 1 about this group of people who don't acknowledge God as creator, ruler, and do not give thanks to him. It's very explicit. And because of their failure to acknowledge and to give thanks, they're moved into a futile mind and darkened in their understanding. Then all kinds of evil flows from them as an expression of really the, the root problem of a failure to acknowledge and give thanks to God. And it was, I think it was really insightful in recognizing all the sins that come from this lack of thanksgiving to the Lord. Uh, homosexuality is often marked out in Romans chapter 1. And I think for good reason, a failure to thank God for His design and His created order. And then there's just a twisting that order on its head and going your own direction. But there's all kinds of other sins that are listed, uh, from gossip to murder to not being obedient to your parents, which you might not think would be included in that list, but it is. A whole host of things that are striking. Uh, So really what we're doing as we kind of look beyond the last chapter into this chapter is we're looking at the fundamental New Testament ethic of putting off and putting on, right? So we're, we're putting off in gratitude, and we're aiming this morning to put on a grateful heart. Now, our author begins his chapter with, I think, a, a couple of striking sentences, and I'm going to read them two or three times to you uh, to see what kind of impression they make upon you. He starts saying this, There is a profound difference between thankfulness as a concept and thankfulness as a practice. Let me say that again. There is a profound difference between thankfulness as a concept and thankfulness as a practice. People who think rightly about God's provision are thankful and they say so. These two sentences, just like, I had to just stop. I had to put my book down and just halt everything because I know something of my own heart and I know something of my own life. Now, one of the troubles of being a preacher, a teacher, James brings this out, you'll be judged with stricter judgment, um, so let not many of you be teachers, is you know more. 
as you're digging into the Word and reflecting upon God's truth, more and more truth is coming to light. And you know you're going to be held accountable for the things that you know. Um, I know that thankfulness is called for everywhere. And I'll just give you a, a few reminders. Colossians 1, 13, as Paul is uh, detailing to us how it is that we are to walk in a manner that's pleasing to the Lord in every way. The kind of conclusion is that we are with joy giving thanks to the Father who qualified us to share in the inheritance of light that we share with the saints in this beautiful inheritance. Or there's Philippians 4, 6. We know, don't be anxious, but what do we do with our anxiety? We bring it to God with prayer and supplication, and then it's qualified with thanksgiving. Uh, Romans 6.17 came to mind immediately. Paul's laying out to us how we were formerly captive to sin and we've been set free from sin and we have a new pattern. And he says this, But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, is there a, a, an ongoing thanksgiving to God that I used to be a slave to sin and I'm, I'm that no longer? And then even Romans 7.25 um, that whole passage telling us, you know, the things that I don't want to do, I find myself doing, and what I, you know, what I do want to do, I se- can't seem to do. Sin is always right there. It's like this, um, it's not omnipresent, but it's, it's a force that seems to be there every time I want to do good. And Paul, in frustration, declares, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Next line. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Again, he's, he's telling us of the, of the demanding nature, we might say, of being a thankful person. So I, I, I come back again to that first sentence. There's a profound difference between thankfulness as a concept and thankfulness as a practice. Now, I've only mentioned four passages of Scripture, and as y'all been sitting in this class for weeks, you know we could... <coughs> We could just spend the rest of our time looking at these passages again. But here's the question. I know these things, but do I do these things? Do I actually practice Thanksgiving? Now, I want you to reflect with me for a moment. What would it look like if we actually practiced Thanksgiving? What, What would be the practical outworking in our lives of practicing Thanksgiving. Any thoughts? Okay. So an expression of thankfulness by a life of obedience. Mm-hmm. Yes. That would be one thing. Okay, so there would be yeah, a reflection uh, on in whatever's going on in life, uh, on reasons to give thanks. So a more gratitude to God as a daily expression. Yeah. My immediate thoughts, because I'm really convicted by this, um, is that our, our go-to response to bad news would be to have a steadfast heart, um, trusting in the Lord. But our go-to response to bad news wouldn't be, oh, no, what in- why? What next? You know, instead mm-hmm. it would be, oh, wow, thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to cry out to you and to trust in you and to see you provide and to see you work, which is 
super convincing. I think if the counter is dirty on them, she she laughs because her heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that just that, you know, often our our first response, our natural response, is fleshy. Right. But if we're being transformed by the work of the Spirit, then and, and it's really really setting in, and it's really what's in our heart, then it's going to be kind of like, you know, when you you poke it, get ready, when you get poke. Right, when you get poked. Like, yeah, the, the famous Spurgeon quote of Bunyan, you know, you, you prick him and he bleeds Bible. Yeah, so we would, if you prick a Christian with a trial, we should bleed gratitude. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. When as, you, as we look back, like choosing to pause and look back even through your day, through your week or whatever's going on, and seeing the Lord in it, choosing to see the Lord in it, as bigger than the circumstance that's mm. crushing you, or feels like it's crushing you, and then remember that it's not crushing you because of the Lord. And so it's that that habit of choosing, because in the moment I don't always have that response, right? Or, or I'm, you know, just I'm overwhelmed with the practical. How do I, you know, what what's my next foot forward, right? Um, and but being able to to reflect or in it and to see the Lord. I mean, it's a it's a choosing. It is a choosing. Instead of just a general, well, He's here. Yeah. I mean, sometimes that's all you have is He's sovereign, He's good, and we're just moving on. Yeah. <laughs> but um, you know, choosing for there to be more reflection. So this this concept of choosing, I think, is important. So the idea of you know practicing Thanksgiving is not a concept alone. It's it's a practice, so there has to be an intellectual comprehension of the duty to, to which we must you know, engage the heart. We, we must move forward. God has called us to this, but there, the will has to do something. Um, so there has to be a choice in light of who God is, in light of the, His revealed character, in light of what He's commanded. We, we pause, we reflect, we do the heart work. We get our heart right in view of truth. As I begin to think about this, I mean, a whole host of kind of practical applications from reflection to the way that we pray. And, and, you know, what came to mind immediately is, is Thanksgiving a pattern in my prayers? Um, we, we all know we're supposed to adore the Lord and confess our sins. Uh, we, we recognize that the Lord is the one to whom we bring our petitions but is thanksgiving being uttered by us in our prayers? Uh, do we have a, a thankful response kind of in our daily interactions with other people? Are we willing to practice thanksgiving by being just very practical, um, expressing gratitude in our day-to-day interactions? Or do you find, like I often find about myself, that I'm, I'm kind of locked in a default setting of ingratitude, which breeds discontent and complaining and a joyless existence and a pessimism and a whole host of other rotten sins. These things just are always right there for me. So, you know, this is incredibly convicting by challenging us. You know, it's not enough for us to know the good that we ought to do. We actually have to do it. So, do I feel thankful? Um, Am I ready to express it? 
Now, as we're thinking about this, um, he's, he's calling us to the practice of thanksgiving, the duty of it. But then he further comments in the chapter, uh, and I kind of previewed it, the question I just, or the statement I just made, thankers, that is those who are giving thanks, also feel. We don't just do the duty of thanksgiving. Those who are thankful also feel. We feel God's goodness. And our feelings seek for an expression. Now, our author is after, he's doing a good job here, I think, in getting after our hearts, uh, our, our conscience, what's going on in our affections. It's not enough that we have a, a mental attitude of thanksgiving and understanding of the duty. And it's not enough that we actually try to do something. Our affections have to be inclined to thankfulness. Um, do we feel the goodness of the Lord? Is that truth actually touching our soul? And is, um, is our feeler, is our heart longing for an expression of thanksgiving? Let me show you a couple passages of Scripture that I, I think where we see the truth of God touch the affections. Um, turn to Psalm 116. And then we'll look at maybe a negative side <clears throat> or a differentiation in the Gospel of Luke. So Psalm 116, we don't know the exact historical circumstance of the psalmist uh, in Psalm 116, but he, he gives us some information about his situation. Um, he, he starts this psalm saying, I love the Lord because He has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because He inclined His ear to me, Therefore, I will call on him as long as I live. And he tells us what happened. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol lay hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. And he begins to articulate, first, you know, what God is like. He's gracious, righteous, and merciful. He preserves the simple. And then he begins to tell you what, what the Lord did for him. Verse 8, You delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. And then he goes on to tell us what his response should be. Um, verse 12, What shall I render to the Lord for all, of his, for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all His people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His saints. O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. And then note this. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all of His people. Um, I want to express my thanksgiving publicly. I want to declare the goodness of the Lord. Do you see how this thanksgiving in the soul is just a longing for an expression. I often, in this particular psalm, I often think about it like the excitement of your, you know, the, the fresh flush of affection with a, a, young, a young woman or a young man as you're coming into relationship and the excitement that you just want to, you know, shout it. You want to declare the depths of your love. The, the psalmist has been rescued and he can't be quiet about it. He has to make it known. 
uh, in the presence of God's people. Uh, I want the world to know where my affections lie and that I'm thankful to God. Clearly, this man isn't just doing Thanksgiving as a raw duty. He's engaged in a heart that's kind of exploding to the Lord. And I just ask you as I ask myself, are we reflecting on what God has done for us? I think the psalmist has been delivered from a particular situation. We don't know who wrote the psalm. We don't know the situation. But all of us who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ have been rescued from Sheol as though death is reaching up and trying to grab us and pull us down into the pit. The Lord has set us free in Jesus from that. And there should be untold joy in our hearts in view of what the Lord has done and a desire to get into the the assembly of the saints and to offer the sacrifice of praise. We're not making a thank offering, like bringing something to God. Um, you know, what, what, however, the means we would use to do that in the Old Testament sacrificial system or you know, pouring out wine in God's presence, which would be one expression of a thank offering. We are, we're coming with the fruit of lips that long to bless His name. And our lips are only to be an expression of what's going on in our hearts. Let me take you to another text where we see this relationship, I think, between the duty of thanksgiving and the feeling of thanksgiving. Turn to Luke 17. We've talked about this passage before. It's the uh, ten lepers. Luke 17, and uh, we're picking up in verse 12. Well, verse 11, I should say. So you remember the story. Jesus is on His way to Jerusalem. He's passing between Samaria and Galilee. He enters the village. He's met by ten lepers who sit at a distance and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, that's interesting, have mercy on us. When He saw them, He said to them, Go and show yourself to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. They have enough faith to believe that He has the power to heal them and enough faith to do what He says to do. And we're told, as they went, they were cleansed. Now, I want you to engage in a little sanctified imagination this morning. Imagine what it would feel like to be a leper. Can y'all, I mean, you've probably heard this story or heard about leprosy enough to know some details. What, What would it be like to be a leper in Old Testament times, in the days of Jesus? Okay, there would be a loneliness. Shame. Yeah, uh, there'd be shame. You can't go to the house of the Lord to worship. Um, the only people you can be around are, are the leopards. You can't hang out with anybody else. You can't feel things. So leprosy describes a whole host of skin problems from something as light as eczema to something as severe as Hansen's disease. Um, But, you know, when you're in a situation where your entire being is covered with leprosy, it's probably the advanced stages of of skin disorder where maybe your hands are becoming numb. I mean, you can actually have, like, parts of your body rot off under leprosy. And it was pretty common for even for, like, parts of your nose to, to fall off or 
you know, you can't feel stuff. You, you, you lose uh, kind of nerve response in the way that the development of this particular disease works. So you might burn yourself. Um, it's not a, a, a society in, in this time concerned with hygiene. <laughs> so when you have cracking skin uh, that's open sores in the development of wounds, does that have a smell? Yes. What might it attract if you have a smelly open wound? Flies. Flies lay eggs. <laughs> Maggots. <clears throat> Are things like rats looking for something bleeding to come feast upon? Yes. You could have creatures that are coming to seek you out and feast on you. That was her, that was her mistake. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, I'm getting you to think about this because this, the implications of having leprosy are physical, emotional, social. You're, you're cut off from the gathered assembly. You're cut off from those you formerly loved. Everything about you is proclaiming a living death. There, there's no cure for this. So it's incredibly depressing. Now, what happens in the story? Jesus tells them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. How do you think they felt? How do you think they knew they were cleansed? What's that? They okay, they felt. What, whatever nerve problems had, had existed before, gone. Um, whatever skin affliction they could see is gone. Uh, they can like look upon themselves and see it's gone. But how do you think that made them feel? Thankful. Overwhelmed. <laughs> um, yeah. Like, you know, you know, thankful seems like such a... It's not enough, right? Yeah, that's not the right word. Uh, exhilarated. Uh, just flabbergasted that this could be happening to them. They're just, you know, awestruck that they have been set free. They feel, no doubt, they feel deeply. But then the Scripture forces you to face a brutal truth here. Um, one of them, verse 15, when he saw that he was healed, and I think seeing that he was healed is important. He, he looks at, he can tell, he looks upon it. He turns back, praising God with a loud voice. He's already clearly pretty excited. And then he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. And then the surprise in the story, now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed? Where the nine was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? What is Jesus saying to us? Um, as he, you know, commends this one man, but implicitly rebuking nine others. Yeah. Yeah, so there should be a greater recognition of these nine to, to come and praise the Lord because of the, the benefits of having 
the word, the oracles of God, the things that they've been taught. You know, what, what's he saying of the relationship between feeling thankful and doing thankfulness or practicing thankfulness? Did all the ten feel thankful? I'm sure they did. Right. Yeah, and, and maybe that's really the problem, is they were thankful in the very generic, unspecified sense. But they didn't feel the need to go into the presence of the Lord. But there was some feeling of thankfulness that, that existed, right? Um, but only one actually practices Thanksgiving. Um, do we... Understand thankfulness is a mere concept, or actually, are we practicing thanksgiving? The, the point the author is making as he reflects upon this whole principle is thanksgiving must be expressed. Thanksgiving has to be acted upon. It has to be indicated with some tangible response. They could be words. They could be signs of affection. Uh, but... Action is required. There should be thanksgiving to God. And how do we express our thanksgiving to God? This is not a hard question. but Okay, worship. Public worship. Private worship. Um, how do we express our thanksgiving to others? We tell them. Yeah, we tell them. I, I want to show you an example of this. We all kind of have this general idea that we should thank people who do things for us. Um, but I want to assure you that it's not, you know, an Emily Post idea or, or Vanderbilt or, you know, it's not the ethics ladies who write books of virtue and tell us about all the rules. Uh, it's really a biblical duty. Look at Romans 16. Verses 3 and 4. This is the portion of Romans where Paul uh, greets everyone he knows in Rome. And it's an interesting chapter because it's one of those chapters you wonder, what am I supposed to learn from this? <laughs> uh, Paul's saying hi to a bunch of people. Um, it's showing us the connectivity of the church. Uh, it's showing us how God values people who we might consider to be unknown and unimportant. Uh, showing us the breadth of gift in the church. But there's one particular note about Prisca and Aquila, uh, longer name Priscilla. Greet Prisca and Aquila, verse 3, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risk their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Um, Paul we don't know what the situation was, but somehow Priscilla and Aquila do something that saves Paul's life. And Paul, we, we know, has this pattern all over the place to give thanks to God. But he mentions explicitly that he, give th he gives thanks to Priscilla and Aquila for what they did. And then he says that not only do I do that, all the churches give thanks. Um, so... This duty of thanksgiving to others is, is a biblical principle. It's there. Um, it's an overflow, obviously, of our thanksgiving to God because we know that every blessing we receive uh, is coming from Him. 
and we can express our thanks to the, the instrument God uses to do something for us. So we're, we're both thanking God and thanking others. Now, as we, as we ponder this, um, we're you know, talking about we should practice thanksgiving, and that practice of thanksgiving should flow from a heart that actually feels thanksgiving. But let me back up and also remind us about the relationship between doing and feeling. Can you think of any examples in the Bible <clears throat> where people engage in the duty of something, but the Lord does not accept it? Well, there was that couple that sold some land and gave it to the church. Okay. Ananias and Sapphira in Acts 5, um, they have the look of doing something that's pleasing to the Lord, uh, but they're not telling the whole truth about the land sale. Hey, we're giving you all the money from the land sale, but they're really not, so they're lying. But clearly in holding something back, there was some problem in a relationship to the Lord himself. So yeah, that would be an example. Can you think of some others? Cain. Okay, Cain's a great example. Um, great minds, right? Cain, um, where he engages in the form of a thank offering, but doesn't have a heart that's engaged in giving thanks to the Lord. Um, the critique in Hebrews, um, because Abel's offering is by faith, and that's clearly what Cain is not doing. He's not engaged in an act of faith. Can you think of any other examples? Jonah. Um, Jonah's got all kinds of problems. Um, but, you know, he's thankful for the, you know, he's got the blistering sun beating down on him in Jonah 4, and God makes a plant grow up quickly. Um, and he's thankful for the plant, and then the Lord sends a worm uh, to, appoints a worm. That's a really important word in Jonah. He appoints a worm to consume the plant, and then Jonah is mad, mad enough to die. Um, he's kind of silly, it seems, but that's often how we are. Something can happen that seems silly, but is, makes us mad enough to die. Um, so there, there was a form of thanksgiving, but something was wrong. Um, the example that came to mind for me uh, was when Jesus talks about worship to the Pharisees and scribes. <clears throat> and he quotes the book of Isaiah that, you know, with your, with your lips you honor me, but your heart is far away. So they were actually engaged in the duty of thanksgiving. Well, we could think of the Pharisee and the tax collector parable. You know, the, the Pharisee is giving thanks to God, although it sounds like he's giving thanks to himself. He is saying, I thank my God that I'm not like other men. And then he begins to articulate. And it's, it's about I and my and me. And, you know, he's very self-centered, but he's still expressing thanks to God. But something's defective in his own soul. So we have to see that this heart of thanksgiving... Yes, we must engage in the duty, but there needs to be real heartfelt thanks occurring in us in order to properly practice thanksgiving. We have to have a heart that is reflective on the goodness of God and is roused with joy and must express thanks. Let me give you a couple more examples of this. Um, you don't have to turn there if you don't want, but Second uh, Samuel 7, this is the Davidic covenant passage where the Lord has come. You know, David wants to build a house for the Lord, and the Lord sends the prophet to David to say, no, I'm going to build a house for you. He begins to articulate all he's going to do. He's going to have a, a son that's going to come for him who will be a forever king. 
Um, the Lord's going to establish the throne of David's line forever. Steadfast love will never be taken away. And then we get David's response. Verse 18 of that chapter, Then King David went in, probably um, into the, the sanctuary, and he sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me thus far? Um, like he's just so overwhelmed that he just has to, he like collapses. This is the only place in the Bible where someone sits to pray, which is interesting. But it's like the, the weight of grace drives him to the ground to sit. It's like, I, I can't even believe what the Lord's doing. And then he prays and he must express things. Or uh, Daniel chapter 2 be another example of this. You remember um, the king Nebuchadnezzar's had a dream in Daniel 2, and he knows those sneaky astrologers and dream interpreters who um, probably, when the king tells him the dream, tells them the dream, they're going to figure out whatever they can say to make it look advantageous for themselves, make it seem like they have all the answers. So he doesn't even tell them what the dream was. Like, you have to tell me the dream and its interpretation, or I'm going to kill you all. And in fact, if you don't tell me, I am going to kill you all. And the Daniel pleads for more time when he hears about this, and he gathers um, Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael, uh, and they pray to the Lord. That's the names, by the way, the Hebrew names of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It preserves it in chapter 2, um, re- reminding us that we don't want to know them by their Babylonian names associated with false gods. Um, and then they seek the Lord, and He answers. He, he reveals the mystery to Daniel. And then we read uh, Daniel 2, verse 20. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He goes on, verse 23, To you, O God my Father, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise. Again, he's just compelled to give thanks to the Lord. He simply must express thanks. Do we have this pattern in our life where we're, we know the duty, the Lord has touched our heart, and we simply must express our thankfulness. Our author says it this way, to be grateful and yet not express it is like learning a song but never singing it. It's like taking a deep breath but never exhaling. It's like getting a wedding ring but never putting it on. Thankfulness is one of the ways joy signs its name. That's a very clever sentence. Thankfulness is one of the ways joy signs its name. It's like the, the stamp on my joy that I'm expressing my thankfulness to the Lord. Again, it doesn't take rocket science to figure out how this works. Um, there ought to be an expression in public worship. There ought to be an expression of thanksgiving in our private worship. There ought to be the practice of, of thanking others for the things that they do, just a practical expression. And as we do that, it's an expression of love. Love towards God when we give thanks to Him. Love towards others when we thank them for what they do. And, you know, thankfulness has this um, really interesting pattern. 
is when we are thankful people and we give thanks to we give thanks to others for the things that they do, thankfulness stirs up the heart of that person. So think of it this way. Um, we're thankful, so we express our thankfulness, and they're thankful that we're thankful, and they're probably inclined to do whatever it was, again in some way, because they're thankful that we're thankful. And it's like that this motivation, this overflowing expression. Paul uses this principle in uh, 2 Corinthians 9 to talk about giving. And he's talking about how the churches in Macedonia, the Philippi area, are stirred up by the desire of the Corinthians to give. And seeing this kind of, we see that you're giving and we want to give and your faithfulness has stirred up our faithfulness so that we're offering up faithfulness or a gift in this case to the Lord. That's how thankfulness should work. It's just this multiplying effect as we're giving thanks. Now, Kelly, go ahead. I think in the same way that practicing, like choosing to do it, that there's often, like I've found, like as you reorient yourself, as you remember the correct narrative, you remember the right things, that like it's almost as if I'm having to, I don't know whether I'd say it's a gift, but like when I'm in a situation that I could just complain or grumble and my heart is not, mm-hmm. sometimes I think there's something wrong. Right. Because my whole life, that's how it's been. It's I'm, it's almost like I'm, as C.S. Lewis said, you know, surprised by joy. Like I'm surprised right. that I'm not, that my heart is not. Everything else around me, the circumstances are horrible or whatever. And no, my normal response would be this. And when it's not, it's almost like <clears throat> I'm surprised by it. And it's a, it's a wonderful, good thing. Right. But sometimes I don't even know how to handle that. It's like, oh, wow. Um, and so that reorienting can't, I mean, it, when it comes, and, it's, and it is unusual to those, especially those not in the faith, if you say something, it's like, right. if you say you're thankful, like they're like, wait, why? Because they can't see into that part. Absolutely. Um, into that joy or thankfulness, and it just doesn't seem, it, it, seem, it, doesn't, it doesn't seem to resonate and yeah. all be the same, but it is under the right narrative and the right truth of who we are and who God is. Yeah, well, God takes the truth that we know by His Spirit and He He leads us to thankfulness when everything would say we shouldn't be thankful. But He, he stirs up that gift of His grace within us. And it's this situation, 1 Peter 3, that causes others to ask, what is the reason for the hope within you? Because this doesn't make any sense. Um, so it's when we express our our thankfulness or our steadfastness in the Christ in the midst of suffering or difficulty that people then ask us this question. Michelle. Also, I think to, in the situation where you find yourself being hard over and over and over and you struggle to be thankful because it's tired, um, it's really important to remember that we're commanded to encourage one another. <clears throat> But 
it took another believer to remind me, oh, it was Tori. <laughs> and hey, well, now we know it's there and we can get rid of it. And isn't God good to show us that? And I'm like, right. yes, yes, he is. And so, I, I mean, I really know that this <clears throat> quest, this, this endeavor to be thankful and to show thankfulness, for it to come from my heart, I have to have other believers. Yeah. I have to have other, I have to be, be willing to say what I'm struggling with, first of all, mm-hmm. and then I get, have to receive in humility someone saying, that's really hard, but look what God did, and, and be truthful. Yeah, it's that nature of, uh, you know, provoking one another to, to love and good deeds. We really do have to have the people of God to, to help us. We're not on the Christian journey as a Lone Ranger. Uh, we are in a community of faith, rejoicing with those who rejoice, weeping with those who weep, reminding each other of the reason we have for joy. Well, as we kind of wrap this up, incredibly convicting chapter, um, and it, you know, it should really kind of cause us to stop and to be struck in the soul. Lord, okay, what am I going to do with this now? Uh, how can we grow in the practice of thanksgiving? The author notes, again in closing, that being thankful or expressing thanks really costs you almost nothing to have you know, a thankful heart. But, but what actually is going to generate in your soul this thankfulness? It's only the grace of God. So you need to pray if, you, if you're like me and you know you have a problem with this. You're struggling to be grateful. You need to pray that the Lord will produce this in you, and you need to come back to His Word, which the Lord uses to remind us of all the good things that He has done, that you would be stirred up to thanksgiving. We need to, Kelly already mentioned this, um, the idea of going back and thinking, taking time to reflect. We need to prepare to give thanks. And the way that we do that is by stopping and reflecting on what God has done. And when we do that, the Spirit takes the Word, presses it into our hearts, and then we recognize, oh, look at all these reasons I have to give thanks. Well, may the Lord help us um, to move past thankfulness as a concept, but to actually engage in the practice of it. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we are convicted by your Word calling us to the duty of thanksgiving. We're convicted knowing that our hearts are often so cold and do not reflect as, it, as they should on thanksgiving. But Lord, we thank you that your grace is at work in us to remind us of truth and to point us in the direction we should go. May you help us to put off ingratitude, complaining, a discontent spirit, and to put on this duty of thanksgiving that we would overflow with joy in light of who you are, the God who is good and does good. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.